Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 45, and I wanted to take a quick look at a very interesting verse that I came across. Immediately when I read it, I thought this is important. It just really struck a good chord with me. And the actual verse is not very positive, but If we look at it the way that God wants us to see it, which is in a holy manner, then we will see the good in it. So I'm reading from uh, the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 9, and this is from the King James Version. It says, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your tradition, your own tradition. This verse really, really stood out to me, and here's why. Previously in chapter 7, It was talking about how the Pharisees and some of the scribes, they, it's almost like they were purposely following Jesus and his disciples to try and trip them up and say, see, you don't do the right thing. Why don't you do the right thing? See, we know the law, you don't. So they were trying to trip them up, and they thought, they stupidly think they had succeeded. Over and over again, they think that they are going to one-up Jesus, because they still do not want to acknowledge that he is God's holy son. They they don't want to believe that he is the Messiah. What's interesting is that the people that are not Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes, the so-called less the less educated or uneducated, they they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They they could tell and yet they were not fully versed in, in the law, but yet they could identify that Jesus is the one true Messiah, the one that had been waiting for, but yet the religious leaders They didn't want a Messiah because they didn't want change. And the change that they wanted was not the was not what Jesus was promising them. It was not what Jesus was going to do. So basically the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes they were constantly holding their hand up to God saying, "No, we're going to do it our way because this is what we want. This is what is this is what is exactly happening here." in verse 9 when he says and he said unto them full well ye reject the commandment of god so he's letting them know that they're complaining about something that they shouldn't really be complaining about because they have already rejected god's laws but for the sake of their own tradition what really got my attention about this verse is how many churches value tradition more than they do God's holy word. And I can speak from experience on this. You know, I used to be Catholic, um and I was also that was one cult I was in. And then I was raised in another cult. I was raised in a Church of Christ, which is a non-denominational church. It's a, it is a split off of a split off of a split. And I just want to be clear here, there are nice people in every church, in every religion on the face of this earth. Just because people are nice that doesn't mean you should follow what they say and do. Here in God's holy word in chapter 7 of Mark, we see that these people, you know, these religious leaders are not even being nice. But yet they are wanting people to do what they want them to do. And then they're trying to convince Jesus that he's wrong, his disciples are wrong, and Jesus calls them out on it and says, "Hey, You have rejected the commandment of God. Because you think you're above God. That's what he's talking about when he says that ye may keep your own tradition. You know, every church has its own tradition. 
unfortunately. But at the same time, traditions can be good if they are serving God's holy will, if they are living by the will of God. What Jesus is referring to, he doesn't say that ye may keep my father's tradition because there is traditions all throughout our our Christian faith and all throughout the Judeo uh, sorry Judeo Christian faith. Your traditions are meant to be practiced and to be passed down to your children and your children's children so that way you don't forget your beginnings. What the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing is they were holding on to their own traditions which were not holy and were not from God. Their tradition their traditions were to punish people. Their traditions were to say aha I caught you. Aha, you're the problem. That was their tradition. Their own tradition was not part of God's holy word. See what we need to remember is that you know God did give the Israelites and the Hebrews laws, basically rules, laws and regulations I would say, but especially the 10 commandments. And he gave them some rules to live by outside of the 10 commandments, usually for health and safety reasons. For example, when you're handling meat, you know, when you're having to deal with someone that you suspect has leprosy, but you know, very it very well could be contact dermatitis, but you want to make sure that you're not falsely accusing someone of of having leprosy. What the Pharisees and Sadducees did, the religious leaders, basically the the swamis of the day, they took god's law and manipulated and they added their own rules laws and regulations i think there was like over 600 of them which is insane like can you imagine trying to know every single tax law in the united states i mean can you imagine trying to obey every single traffic law that is on the books in every state of the united states Like no two states are exactly the same in terms of their traffic laws. I mean, it's insane, right? Well, that's kind of the insanity of what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes were doing. They were making it so difficult to please God because they wanted people to be aware that they were not good enough to please God. See, they were in the business of shaming and blaming. And Jesus is trying to tell them, you've rejected my father's holy word. You have rejected his commandments. But for the sake of what you think is appropriate and good and holy, which it is not. What I have found in you know at least the two churches that I attended or the religions I was a part of for a time, they associate with tradition as being just as important as God's holy word or being more important than God's holy word because they they claim to be basing their tradition on God's holy word and so then it's it's very sly in the way that the traditions that they hold fast to start to replace and mean more to them than God's holy word which is technically heresy and that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did They thought that their human understanding and their their way of thinking was more important and more valuable than what God says and does. See, that that's why 
I don't know how else to describe this, but that's why in the Old Testament it was very serious when a priest did the wrong thing. It was very serious. Because there there were only certain people that could be priests from a certain tribe and that was their occupation. See what happened is the holy priesthood stopped being holy. That's the problem. That's where these Pharisees, these Sadducees and these scribes got way off track. They took something that was holy that was supposed to it was supposed to be an honor to serve God in the role of being a priest because they're supposed to help God's holy people draw closer to God, but instead they perverted it. almost destroyed it completely off the face of this earth technically with what they were doing and they made it so that it was more difficult for people to reach God God was trying to draw closer to his people but the priesthood that had been manipulated and warped into something completely different by the Pharisees the Sadducees and the scribes and the I think it was the Levite tribe They were in the business of pushing people away. Later in the gospels we will see where Jesus actually went into his father's house, one of the temples, and he overturned the money changers' tables and formed a a whip out of cords and you know chased them out of his father's house because they they were they were basically trying to turn God's house his holy sanctuary into a money market. basically like a stock market. There's nothing wrong with having currency in a stock market, but it is not supposed to take place in God's house. And plus that what they were doing is they were buying and selling favors. It's very similar to how in the Catholic Church, I know this when I was Catholic, that you could buy a mass. And I know there are some who say no Leslie, that's to pay for the electricity of the building, that's to pay for the cost of the eucharist which is the the bread and the wine and it's like you know that excuse and lie will only take you so far I know that when I was catholic there were several times I tried to purchase a mass you know to have a mass that said um in honor of someone that had passed away or to say a mass to um basically bring holiness or you know have a blessing be said on a particular organization I can't tell you how many times I was told no but there were certain people in our church you know they could buy as many masses as they want and I just thought that's not right because me personally I wasn't trying to buy a mass I wasn't trying to buy favoritism I honestly believe that what I was paying for was for the electricity in the Eucharist, you know, to pay for the cost of it because it's not free to operate a church. Well, apparently my money was not always good enough and my request and what I wanted to do was not as important as somebody else. I was like, "Oh, favoritism. This is just like the the money exchangers in God's temple." Back in Jesus's days, So I think we need to be very careful 
what traditions we allow to take hold of our lives, what traditions we practice, and what traditions we allow to be taught and practiced in in and uh, what's the right word enforced or reinforced in our churches because if it doesn't come from the holy word of god we shouldn't be doing it i guess that's my point you know god i think another reason why jesus got so mad at the money changers was that these people thought that they could buy and sell god they thought that they could sell buy and sell the goodness of God. God is not for sale. And what an insulting thing to do to our heavenly Father, but these people, they thought they were justified and they made the excuse of, well, it costs money to have a dove, it costs money to have a lamb, it costs money to have a goat. You know, they would make all these excuses. Well, the Catholic Church does the exact same thing. in terms of purchasing a mass. And good luck, you know, getting the priest to say it the right way or the way that you think it should be said. Cuz you know, I don't know if people realize this, and you know, if you were ever Catholic or were, were around Catholicism in any way shape or form, you probably woke up to the same fact that I did that some priests do not really care about people. Some are really kind and genuine. I know some really kind, wonderful priests I'm surprised they're Catholic because they're so nice, but here's the thing. There are some priests that don't think people are worth, let me put it this way, there are some priests that decide who is worth saving and who is not worth saving, but yet they will take your money. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. They were taking God's laws, his commandments, and making it so difficult to be holy To, to draw close to God that they actually were in the business of punishing people, shaming and blaming and pushing people away, but for the sake of their tradition. Now we'll look down in verse 13 of this same chapter, very interesting verse. It says, "Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition." So he's saying that God's holy word is not part of their tradition. Their tradition is more important than God's holy word. So God is not involved in their daily life. technically and god is not the reason or the source of their traditions again traditions are a beautiful and wonderful thing they very much are but if god is not involved in it and if god is not the reason for that tradition then you've totally missed the mark that's what jesus is saying here making the word of god of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such like things do ye so what he's saying is that The only thing you deliver is your tradition. You're not delivering the word of God because you're not living the word of God. Because the word of God is alive, it is living, it is not dead. But what the Pharisees, Sadducees and scribes did not realize that their traditions were killing them. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically See if a tradition pulls you away from God or takes the place of God then you're not going to know the goodness of God which we see that all throughout especially the the New Testament where you have the religious leaders that are so desperate for control 
that they're okay with people being diseased as long as you can throw them away like a piece of garbage. And they're okay with with people's children being cripples. As long as they can shame and blame them and say, "Oh, your parents must have done something wrong if you're a cripple." Or you must have done something wrong because God is punishing you. See, they're playing God. God never gave them permission to be God. The only thing he gave them permission to do was to help lead his people to him, not to themselves. See, what Jesus is trying to make a point in regards to the Pharisees, Sadducees and the scribes, they are not being good shepherds. They are a wolf in sheep's clothing. And as a shepherd, they are not being kind to God's sheep. They were never kind to Gentiles. They were hardly ever kind to foreigners. And then we see that they're hardly ever kind to their own people unless you fit into their box of what they think you should do and what they think you should, you know, what kind of life you should live. You know what's interesting is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees we don't see anywhere in the Bible especially the New Testament where they actually lifted up healing prayers for people and they had the ability to do that. That's what God's word is. It's a healing prayer. The entire Bible is a healing prayer for mankind. It's medicine for our souls and our bodies. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees They just wanted the power of God, which they never had and they never will. They they thought that because of their status, it gave them permission to punish people, ostracize people, but they never thought to lift up healing prayers for their people. They they never thought that hey, if someone's crippled, you know, if God's punishing them, why don't we ask God to forgive them or help them? And if God isn't punishing them, let's still ask God to help them. But but they never looked at it that way. And what's interesting is that, you know, the human existence is not easy. It is not easy. Ever since we have been kicked out of the garden of Eden, it has not been easy. Which is why God gave us his holy word. because he knew that he was the only one that could help mankind have a good life and have the best life and have a blessed life. See, I personally can't help you be blessed. I can pray for you. I can lift up a bumper crop of prayer prayers for you and if you need a job, I can refer you to someone, but I personally am not the one who can bless anyone. That is God. That's his job. What the Pharisees were doing and the Sadducees they wanted all the blessings for themselves. They were very gluttonous, um, greedy people. Hence they had money changers in God's temple. That that tells you where their heart was. Their heart was not in God. Their heart was not believing in God. Their heart was in the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Money itself is not the root of all evil. It's just currency. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you know, the priesthood, they, they had every opportunity to help God's people, but they, they made it, they turned it into a, a business as opposed to a good holy tradition of helping people. I mean, here's the thing. If ever they got sick, they wanted to be healed. But if someone that they thought was below them got sick, it was, oh, God's punishing you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. You must have done something wrong. What have you done? And then if the person confesses to whatever they've done wrong, then they get shamed and blamed even worse. And they still don't get help. But then if a person is like, well, I didn't really do anything wrong. It just, I woke up with leprosy. I, I, I just got infected. Well, if the person says, well, I didn't actually do anything wrong, then they're like, oh, you're self-righteous. That's what's wrong with you. You think there's nothing wrong with you, so that's why God is punishing you. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes were always finding fault with people because that was how they made their money. That's how they made their living. That's why Jesus is calling them out, and he calls them hypocrites. In these particular verses, he says, and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. And I'm going to read this in another uh, translation. It's the NIV Leadership Bible. Because I want to hear what this sounds like over here as well. But it's very interesting that, you know, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they, they act like Jesus doesn't know God's word. And what's interesting is that he keeps telling them, I am the word. I, I am what you seek. But you're so busy being cruel To God's children that you don't even realize when someone is here to save your people, to save you. Because you think you can save yourselves, but you can't. So I'm reading from the NIV version. Again, it's the Leadership Bible. So I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 7, verse 9. The, the exact same one. Just a different translation. It says, and he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Very interesting there. Very true. Let's jump down to verse 13. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do, you, and you do many things like that. So what he's saying is that their traditions that are wrong go back a long time. But they do not go back to the beginning. They do not go back to what God handed down to Moses, to the Israelites. He's letting them know, you are not the law, you are not the original law, you are not the original translation, so why don't you shape up, shut up, and listen up. That's what he's trying to say. That's my translation of that. Because you know, Jesus was not happy with these people. I mean, he called them hypocrites later in, in, the, in the gospel for a reason. And it's because... It depended what mask they were wearing that day. Like they would be claiming to be religious and holy, but that was just a mask. It did not reflect who they really were as a person. And it did not reflect who they were in their faith. The thing is, is that they didn't have faith in God because they were putting more and more faith in themselves and in their traditions. And, you know, they were so stupid and foolish that they didn't. They were not wanting to realize or wake up to the fact that traditions don't save you. Traditions don't save you from the pit of hell. God never said, if you believe in my tradition, you'll be saved. 
He never said that. God never said, "Obey my traditions." He said, "Obey my commandments." Now, again, God is not against traditions. So if you are attending a church that has traditions, there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they are honoring God and as long as they are not taking the place of God or taking the place of God's holy word. See, one of the things that I noticed in the Catholic Church that pretty much takes the place of or what they think should take the place of the word of God and they allow it to do so is the catechism. Now it's a very interesting book. I've had several copies of it. And whenever I had a question about something in the Catholic Church, you know, because I converted to Catholicism, it was never let's go to God's holy word, it's let's go to the catechism. I was like, "Okay, but that's not God's holy word. It may be inspired by his word in a way, but it's not actually his holy word." It's just bits and pieces put together and formulate in a way to say that the Catholic faith is the one true faith, which it's not. There are many faiths within Christianity, all of which can get you to heaven, but there are some that will not get you to heaven if you follow their their off-course traditions and if you replace the word of God with with whatever reading material that they say is more important than God's scripture. See, I think I've said this before and I'll close with this. You know, I actually attended a Bible study at at the Catholic church I was going to and I was invited into it. I was like, "Oh, yeah, a Bible study." I was like, "Oh, we're actually going to read from the Bible." I was impressed. Cuz we do read I think it's one two maybe three or four readings from the Bible during mass but that was it. People hardly ever owned Bibles if they did they're on the coffee table they were a decoration. They either just read a a novena which some of them are good most of them not because they're very negative and very Debbie Downer and very brainwashing or they would just read what some monk or nun wrote and I'm like why aren't we reading what God said? But anyway, so I got invited to this Bible study and I was like, "Oh, thank goodness. There is a light at, at the end of the tunnel because I was starting to give up on my faith, on my Catholic faith because I was like, why aren't we reading from the Bible? Why aren't we believing what God says? Why aren't we really being Christ-like? We're just being religious in a tradition. But that that's that doesn't mean that we're walking the Christian faith that God wants for us. So, I show up to this Bible study. I've got one of my favorite Bibles on me. I sit down, and I realize no one else brought a Bible. No one. Not the person leading the Bible study. None of the other people brought a Bible. I was literally the only one out of maybe twenty or thirty people that brought a Bible. We didn't open that thing one time. All we ever did and I didn't last long in this Bible study because it wasn't a Bible study. All we ever did was read a book that someone else wrote that is supposedly a theologian within the Catholic circle, I guess you could say, of people, so-called educated people. I couldn't stand at all what the man said. I didn't like what he wrote. And I was like, I am so sick of this and so we would watch his videos. 
It was just more brainwashing. And it was so agitating to me. It was just it's so frustrating when you're trying to cling to the truth and all you're given is just muck. I, mean, I have no doubt that there are some people there that have good intentions, but you know what? The intentions don't matter if it's not the right intention. And if it's not founded on God's scripture. See the guy, I don't remember the guy's name. I'm so glad I don't remember his name, but the guy that wrote the book, of course him and his wife are Catholic, have a bunch of kids, and I'm not against having a bunch of kids, but I feel sorry for the wife, you know, being knocked up all the time. But here's the thing, he talked about you know, he t- he mentioned some people in his video that had um chronic illnesses. Not once did he ever mention or say that they should be lifted up in prayer and that they should be healed and that God has the power to heal them. He just used their sad story because he didn't honestly think they could ever get better or that they should be better or that they should be healed. His video and his teaching was all about him. His job, his wife, his kids, how great he's got it. And I'm like, he's missed the point. He's totally missed the point. Like he is no different than a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Look at me. Look at the examples I give. And if I give an example about someone that has a horrible disease or something, it's just to show how bad their life is. Not once did he ever say, "Hey, did you know that Jesus can heal that person?" Let's let's look at God's holy word and see where he has healed so many people. And I feel sorry for anyone that he interacts with that has a chronic illness or or a terminal illness because all those things are temporary in the eyes of God because God's love is permanent. And within God's love is health and healing in abundance. This guy doesn't believe in that. You'd be surprised how many Catholics do not believe in healing, but yet they try and get people to become saints after they're dead. And they technically I guess can't be a saint unless a miracle happens. I'm like, "Well, it's almost like in a Catholic church, a miracle should only happen if if they're trying to get someone canonized to be a saint." So it's like miracles are only are only relevant or only should be done to get someone to be a saint. Like they don't think that miracles and that healings should happen every day all day. They're using the healings and miracles of other people to prop to prop up other people that have already died and passed away. How is that any different than what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing? Because Jesus didn't like what they were doing. So I doubt that Jesus approves of this whole canonizing saints and and propping up dead people like like they have power like like God. And they don't. I have no doubt that people in heaven can pray for us down here. I don't doubt that at, at all because we do have saints in heaven. But saints, you know, when the Bible talks about saints, it's not Catholic saints. 
Catholicism was not around in biblical times. The Catholic Church was invented by mankind. It's not part of the Bible. Now, are there good people that are Catholic? Yes. Are there some good things that the Catholic Church does? Yes, of course. But there's a whole lot of other things they do that it, it's not scripture. It's not scriptural. It's not um, not always ethical, not always legal, and not always moral. And I'll give an example here. You know, when I was Catholic, I was always surprised at how much Ireland is not Catholic anymore. And how much or how many Irish people hate the Catholic Church? I mean, hate it. And I was like, why do they hate it? Well, when I look at the history of it, the Catholic Church did a lot to hurt people in Ireland. And so Ireland, if you're listening, I am so sorry those horrible things ever happened to you and your people. There's no excuse for it. They are truly atrocities. And just so you know, there is justice in Christ Jesus. God will give you justice. Hang in there. Hang in there, don't give up. You know, by all means leave the Catholic Church because it obviously is not the not the place to be because of some of the things that happened over there. But let me put it this way. When I left the Catholic when I left the Catholic Church, I almost felt like my soul had been ripped out of my body. Because I had been indoctrinated into a cult. See, that's what cults do. They trap you. They make it seem like you can't leave. They make it seem like they are the only ones that can help you and then they don't help you. They shame and blame. Well, what I didn't realize was that because I was under a mind control, that's why I felt like my soul was being ripped out of my body. It really was not being ripped out of my body. It was the shackles of lies and just false doctrine were trying to keep a strong grip on me. So I felt turbulence in my soul, but I knew I was supposed to leave. Sometimes it is difficult to leave the bad to go to the good. But once I left and went to the good, I felt free. I have felt such freedom I have never felt before. Because I'm not indoctrinated. I'm not in a cult. I'm free, and the reason why I'm free is because of Jesus Christ. That's where you are going to find your freedom. I am aware that Ireland suffered some atrocities at the hands of really evil, wicked priests. horrible. And many many people's children suffered and maybe you are those children that suffered, maybe you're adults now and you suffered a lot at the hands of the Catholic Church. Walking away and forgiving them is the best thing you can do. Now if they did something that break that broke the law for sure report it. Don't ever don't ever let them sweep that under the rug. And I think Ireland is doing a really good job of not sweeping things under the rug because if I now know about this stuff then obviously it has it, it's been brought out into the open, which is technically what we're supposed to do. 
See, the reason why there were so many atrocities that happened in Ireland in regards to what these evil, wicked priests were doing in the Catholic Church was because they had everybody convinced, the priests, that, oh, we have to follow tradition. And if we follow these traditions, then bad things don't happen. But yet, the, the shepherd was the wolf. These priests had gone to the dark side, so to speak. And it's just the opposite of what God wants. We are not supposed to be children of the dark. We are supposed to be children of the light because we are all called to be the light of Christ. But what is really sad about the Catholic Church and other churches that act like them is they act like their priest, their pastor, their reverend, or whoever is in charge, that the light only shines out of them. And that only they can make decisions about their church. Or the church. That's not true. We are the body of Christ. Yes, we do need good leaders and good pastors. But that doesn't mean they can just run amok. Because running amok is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. They were throwing people away like garbage. Well, that's exactly what these evil, wicked priests were doing in Ireland, but towards little boys. I mean, it was graphic. It was horrible. See, that's an example of where the royal priesthood that is given to us by God, and when I say priesthood, it's not the Catholic priesthood. The priesthood belongs to all of us now. In the Old Testament, it was just one particular tribe. But come the New Testament, we are all vicars of Christ. We are, we are all priests of Christ. Because when you give your life to Christ, we are supposed to be Christ-like. But what these bad priests did, they perverted the holy priesthood and made it like a homosexual boys club. No one wants to say it like that, but that's what it was. They targeted little boys and they knew who was who was weaker they knew which ones could be more easily fooled children are not supposed to your children are not supposed to be fresh meat or bait for predators but that's what a perverted church does that's what a perverted priesthood does It takes something that is meant to be holy and protected and loved and it perverts it. And what the Catholic Church was doing especially in Ireland and they also did this um in Oklahoma we had some scandals here with priests and then they did this up in the northeast some really bad scandals up there in regards to the Catholic um priesthood. Um they used tradition to cover up their crimes. Oh look how spiritual I am. Look how holy holy I am. Look how money I raise. Look how much money I raise for the church. Oh, you know, I I'm a male priest. You know, isn't it, isn't it enough that I don't knock up women? Isn't it enough that I'm not sexually active with women? What does it matter that I do this on the side? Everything matters. 
especially when someone is in a position of power like trying to lead a church and also when they have access to money. I can't tell you how much fraud and embezzlement has occurred in the Catholic Church, not just here in Oklahoma and up in the northeast, but over in Europe, like even in Rome. There there's been some scandals there. But here's the thing, because they hold so fast and so close to their tradition, they're not willing to do the right thing and they're not willing to show just how bad the evil is because they don't want it to be seen. Well, whatever you hide in the dark is what dominates you. Whatever you tolerate is what you allow to contaminate. That's what Jesus is saying here. When he says, and he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God. Notice it says full full well, meaning they know what they're doing. They are not ignorant. They are educated. The people that he is speaking to here are like the upper elite, like the bureaucrats, the aristocrats, you know, all those crats. That's them. They're educated. They they are at the top of the ladder. in terms of their religion, their politics, their economy. So basically they have no excuse. Because they know the word of God, but yet they reject it. And get this, it was their occupation to know God's law. It was their occupation to be very schooled in it, very well versed. But yet they were rejecting it for the sake of their own tradition because their their traditions gave them permission to do whatever they wanted. and they would push this false agenda this lie that their traditions are just as holy as God's word if not holier than God's word so that's why they were able to get away with so much stuff that's exactly what has happened in the catholic church and is still happening and that's one reason why i left i left for many reasons but that's one of them you know it's very important that that we honor God with our life not just what with what we say what we do what we think but our life that includes everything that includes the faith that we practice the words that we speak the jobs that we take the good job that we do that the person that we marry the kids that we raise what we invest in what we watch on TV it's all of it Because technically if we reject one part of God then technically we are rejecting all of him because God is an all or nothing God. He doesn't say, "Well, okay. I'm going to let you get by with only obeying three commandments." That God never said something like that. Never. Because God's holy word is all of this is for you. It's a blessing to you. It's nourishment to your bones. It's nourishment to your bodies. So if God's holy word is good for us, like a medicine, you know, if we're sick, why would we not take our medicine? You know, let's say you have bronchitis or a sinus infection, or let's say you have something you know, a little more serious like pneumonia, and they put you on antibiotics. Why would you cease to why would you cease taking your medicine? 
And we're not talking about allergic reactions or whatever the case may be. We're talking about like you can take the medicine and you should take the medicine, but for some stupid reason you're like, "No, I don't need it." Yeah, I've got this disease. I've got this infection, but yeah, yeah, I don't need these antibiotics. Here's the thing, if you're already sick, then you need a healing. So don't throw away your healing. It's the same thing with the holy word of God. When when you don't take your medicine, such as the holy word of God, you're not going to be healed. You're not going to see the goodness of God in your life. It's the same thing here. If if you don't how do I describe this? If you don't take your medicine, but yet you go drink a bunch of Dr. Pepper, then of course you're not going to get well or you're not going to get well as quickly. It's the same thing here. The Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, they were not focusing on God's word. They they were replacing it. They're saying, "Oh, we don't need God's word. We don't need to honor it. We got our own tradition." Their traditions were not helping them. They were not helping people, and they were not serving God. They were not holy. But yet they're trying to make it seem like this is the way we're supposed to live. This is this is what we are supposed to do. Not true. God told them exactly what they need to do, but they said, "No, we're going to do it our way." Thanks for giving us your your feedback, Lord. Thank you for giving us a bit of a road map. But you know what? We've got we're going to invent our own GPS. And we and you know, we're not going to drive off the edge. So don't worry about it. Jesus is telling him right here, you've already driven off the edge. You're already disobeying God. But yet you're claiming that you are obedient. Tradition does not equal obedience. Just like sacrifice does not equal obedience. And what that means by, you know, sacrifice is not equal obedience. I think sometimes Christians we tend to think, well, I'll give up this if I can do this over here. I'll sacrifice this so I can do this over here. It's like a tick for tack. That's not how God works. God is not a money changer. God is love. So we need to focus on what God wants for us. Cuz what is really heartbreaking is when people do what these people did and it says in verse 13 again, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Can you imagine how many people are living, you know, they how many are living their life and that they think they're Christian, but the word of God has no effect? It has no effect. because they have replaced God's holy word with their tradition traditions cannot save you from hell traditions can reinforce God's holy word in your heart it can help you with your know, basics and things like that but it can't save you the pharisees the sadducees and the scribes and also false religions They were doing everything they could to avoid what God wanted them to do because they wanted to do it their way. 
You know, like that Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way? You know, it was so creepy. I heard that song at a funeral. <laughs> it's just like, like my mouth dropped. I was like, I was just so shocked. Because this was, it was this guy's, it was so funny in a way, but it was shocking at the same time because it took me aback. This guy passed away. And I didn't personally know him. But, um... Went to this funeral, you know, to show and pay my respects, blah, 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 kind of thing. And they played all these songs that were his favorite songs. Almost every song just proved you he had an ego problem. And he was probably not a nice person. And so here we are trying to pay our respects to the dead, right? And it's like, it's almost like you don't really want to be there. Because you realize just what kind of person he was when he was alive. It was really disturbing. I've been to some weird funerals over the years. I mean, it's just like, wow. It, it can really take you aback. But needless to say, all the songs they played, I can't stand to listen to them anymore. I can't take it because it reminds me of that guy's funeral. And what's interesting is that they played all these songs that he liked. And it was just kind of shocking Because you realize who this guy really was. So then it was kind of like, you know, yes, he died. I think he died from some type of cancer of the lungs. I can't remember if it started out there or spread there. But um, it's kind of one of those things that when you realize who he was, it was almost like you didn't really feel sorry for him. And I know that probably sounds bad. But I think we've all felt that way at funerals. Because if someone's not a good person... Then, then you're not really going to miss them. I mean, you don't wish someone ill, not by any means, but it's just, it's a weird, eerie, creepy feeling whenever you go to a funeral. And, you know, you have someone that is organizing the funeral and they're giving the, what's it called, the eulogy, the, like a pastor or something. And, of course, they get up there and it's all roses and ivory and, you know, they're all sweet and kind about the person that passed away. And you realize, hey, this person was not as kind as what you're saying. It's creepy. But, I mean, you show up, you pay your respects. And I was not expecting um, to learn this about this guy. And it's just kind of like, wow. Um, I kind of got the impression, just from what I picked up on at this funeral, I guess this guy kind of thought that he, he didn't need medicine or something, that he could beat this cancer But it was out of pompousness. It wasn't that he thought God was going to heal him or anything. It just kind of fed into his ego. And from what I understood and from what I gathered at this funeral, it was his ego and his vanity that killed him. It was not the cancer. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here when he's, when he's telling the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes that You know, when you reject God and you lift up your own selfish traditions, you are technically giving yourself a death sentence. You're, you're throw, you are throwing away your lifeline to God because you're no longer partaking in the feast of our Heavenly Father. Like, you're no longer embracing God's blessings because you think all blessings come from you and that you can do it all in your own strength, which none of us can. He's saying that your traditions cannot save you. You need God. So why throw away God? 
See, they, they were living in defiance. These religious leaders, they were the religious swami gurus of the time. You know, probably wore a turban, whatever the case may be back then. I mean, th- these people were dressed to the nines, probably very wealthy. Because remember, they also had access to God's treasury. And they had turned God's treasury in the temple into a money-changing pit. So they were not honoring God with their worship or with their lives. But they hid it within their tradition. And I'll say this about that funeral I went to. What was really sad was this guy could write poetry. He really could. He had a gift. But you know what? His gift was Let me put it this way. I don't remember this guy for his gift. I remember him for his arrogance and his pompousness. That's what I remember. Because it was so shocking. I mean, the guy's dead. And yet he whatever he focused his life on or what whatever he whatever how to describe this? Whatever he put his focus on. That's what came out about him even though he had passed away. It was very obvious, you know, very evident and obvious that he was not this sweet gentle soul that some of his family members were trying to make out he was. Cuz I remember one of his sisters got up there and it was so sad. She got up there and read a poem that he had written her, I guess when they were teeny boppers or when they were in their 20s because this guy was like in his 50s when he passed away. And It was a very sweet poem. But it's like the poem didn't match who the guy really was. And I just kind of felt like it was a scam. Like I felt like this guy knew he could wrap his sisters around his little finger and fool them into thinking that he's this sweet kind guy when he was not. Because if you actually heard about his life and you listen to the songs that they played they said oh these are his favorite songs and it was just jaw dropping so it was almost like he was living two lives and i guess he was technically but needless to say i don't hardly go to funerals anymore <laughs> i just don't like if i don't know them personally or if it's not someone you know in my family or you know like a really close person in my life i don't go I just don't. I just I went to show support, you know, for the family and pay my respects. I'm like, you know what? Whenever I pay my respects now, if it's someone I don't really know, I just send a, a card, a, a sympathy card or something. Because sometimes I don't know why, but at funerals, sometimes you learn about who people really are and who they were during their lifetime. And sometimes it can be shocking. And it was for me. As just like, wow, like it, it was the, let me put it this way, it was and this was several years ago this happened, but it was the first funeral I had ever attended where I ended up leaving, I mean, I mean at the end of the funeral, I left the building thinking just the human side of me I don't feel sorry for that guy. And I felt bad for thinking that way, but I was like, "Lord, I don't think this man was a good person." Like there were some things that came out about this guy that I'm like, "How did people not catch this all these years?" 
Well, the reason why was because he lived a double life. He was sicky sweet to the people he wanted to use. But then if you actually really looked at how he was living and what he really thought about things, then you would think something totally different. Something totally different. And it, it can be shocking sometimes. So needless to say, um, like I said, I don't go to hardly any funerals anymore because they're just things I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I wish people well. It's, it, you know, cancer is a horrible disease. Would never wish that on anyone. I just don't want to hear it or see it. And again, if I don't know someone personally, then all I do is send a sympathy card. Anything outside of that, you know, it's, it's really, I just look at it this way. It's not my problem, not my issue, and I'm not part of their life. I don't mean that harshly. But, you know, I just think about, you know, Technically this that funeral made me think about how many people are there in my life that are fooling me. It really opened my eyes to that. So so you know, you know what's interesting is that the Lord will speak to your heart in the strangest moments. In the moments that you think, "Oh, I should be thanking that Lord, help me." But here's the thing. I think the Lord wanted me to see that. He wanted me to see the false side of this guy. and then what he and then what he really was he's basically what Jesus calls these Pharisees and Sadducees later in time when he calls them whitewashed tombs you know you look clean and good on the outside but it's the inside that's the problem and so i remember walking to the car with my mom and i i've never told her about this <laughs> never and um as we were walking and we're getting in the car I'm praying silently like even though my eyes are open and I'm not moving my mouth you know that that's what I always tell people like you don't have to be on your knees in prayer to pray you don't have to make a scene like a pharisee or a sadducee and pray in public and blow a horn or a siren or something or whatever on a loudspeaker the most powerful prayers are often the ones that no one else knows you're praying except for God and in that moment on the way home it was very quiet We didn't hardly talk at all, but I was praying, and I felt bad for not feeling sorry for this guy that he died of cancer. I didn't feel sorry at all, because I saw that he was a user. He loved using women. He could fool anyone that was female. It was very obvious to me, at least. And um, God spoke to me. He spoke to my heart, and He wanted me to know that. There are people that will try and get you to believe what they want you to believe, but it is not what you should believe. You need to look for the truth. See, sometimes bad people will take a situation that, oh, I've got this hardship. Feel sorry for me. Yes, it's a feel sorry situation. But what we need to remember is that it rains on the good and the on the good and the bad. the just and the unjust, right? And so God reminded me that there's no shame or condemnation in waking up to the truth, especially when you learn something about other people. And God calmed my heart that hey, you don't have to feel bad when someone passes away from cancer. 
I was like, what? He goes, you don't have to feel bad. That's not a requirement. I was really taken aback by this. See, God knows that I was raised in the Bible Belt. And here in the Bible Belt, we kind of have, I think everybody has their traditions of what they, of what they expect of people, how to behave and what, what to say at a funeral or how to react to a tragedy. God doesn't do that. He doesn't say you have to say this, you have to react this way. No, that, that's not how God works. God meets us where we're at in that moment. And on an individual basis, not as a group, on an individual basis. And in that moment, God knew I was having some problems with that. Because, you know, I, I had never felt, how to describe this, I'd never felt lack of sympathy for someone that had died of cancer. I'd never experienced that before. Because my, my reaction was, I don't feel sorry for that guy. I mean, I don't think he deserved what he got, not like that, but I just, it's like, it feels weird when you were in a room And you're supposed to be there for sympathy reasons, but then when you find out more and more about the person, you don't feel sympathy for them. And, you know, God has spoken to me before. And when I, say, when I say spoken to me, I don't mean audible, like crazy stuff. I mean just, just the Holy Spirit, you know, speaking to your heart, you know, on the inside of you, speaking to your heart. You know... I look at it this way. Was our planet sad at all when Hitler died? No. Was, our, you know, was society sad when Stalin died? No. Um, did we feel bad when Mussolini died? No. Here's the thing. Sometimes bad things happen to bad people. Sometimes they deserve it. Sometimes they don't deserve what they get. But just because something bad happens to a person, that doesn't mean you have to feel sad for them, especially if they were a bad individual. Or, or if you found out something that was not good about them. See, it, it changes the dynamic, but unfortunately, we are fed this lie within Christianity and within the Bible Belt, I would say, that... It doesn't matter who dies, we're supposed to feel bad, we're supposed to be wailing, we're supposed to be pulling our hair, we're supposed to be putting on a show. God doesn't say that at all. Nowhere is that in the Bible. It's, it's not in there. You know, what's interesting is that the Greeks, I can't remember what, what year this was, or time frame, but it was, it was way back in uh, Greco-Roman times, the ancient Greeks, and the Egyptians did this as well. They would pay women to mourn at funerals. So it would look like the person was more important or more dearly missed than they actually were. They, they were basically paid actors and actresses to put on a scene. And they would literally get ashes and rub it all over their skin, make it look like they're, they're ruddy and downtrodden and they're upset and, oh, I'm so upset I can't groom myself. The women would be crying and screaming in the streets and yelling and they would be pulling out their hair because they, they had funeral processions back then. So it was for show. The Egyptians did this, the ancient Egyptians did this, and the ancient Greeks did this. But it wasn't real sympathy. It wasn't 
real agony. It was put on. It was fake. See, unfortunately, in the Christian faith, I've noticed this because I'm Christian. I'm in the Bible Belt. There, there's this unrealistic expectation of what grief should look like. And if you don't grieve and act like other people, then something's wrong with you. And we don't trust you or we don't like you. Nowhere in the Bible does God act like that. God does not tell us to be fake. He doesn't tell us to pay people to mourn at funerals. He doesn't ever tell us to pull out our hair. You know, this fake stuff. It's, you know, it's one thing when someone is genuinely upset, like King David and some others, especially in the Old Testament, when they were upset, like even the prophets, when they were upset, they would wear sackcloth. When something, you know, you know, if they lost a battle or if their people were sinning or if some kind of tragedy happened, they were legitimately upset. They would fast. They would change their clothes in the sackcloth. I mean... It, it was a true it was a true sadness it wasn't a fake sadness so needless to say when i'm sitting at this funeral i felt like i was obligated to cry i did not cry because i didn't feel sorry for the guy and just fyi i'm typically not a crier at funerals i don't know why but i've been like this ever since as a child i typically don't cry about a tragedy until like a week or two afterwards especially when we're dealing with burying somebody like a funeral or something i don't know why but it's like i'll be there i'm like why don't i feel anything like for me it it takes me i'm i guess i am a slow griever i guess is what it is and i don't show my emotion like that in public i wasn't raised that way i wasn't raised to make a scene nothing like that but anyway Um but even with this guy's funeral I for sure did not cry a week or two later. But what I'm trying to say is that God expects us to be true no matter what the circumstance, right? So I knew that going forward after that funky experience, I knew that I was not called to attend funerals just to be there for people. I I know that some people feel they're called to do that like the church ladies or something like that or the the funeral parlor attendants whatever you want to call them but I know that's not my calling because I question things I notice things I pick up on things and my mother's always told me you're really good at at investigating things you're really good at picking up clues and what's what irritates me about that sometimes like my my natural gift and it shouldn't irritate me but sometimes it i feel like it gets in the way of regular everyday life like for this example you know i'm at a funeral and i'm noticing some things i'm like wait a second this guy isn't who he says he is and he's just he had been fooling people for years probably all of his life And the reason why I felt uncomfortable was because I I felt this expectation of how I'm supposed to act and react. And it's like, you know, I I'm not a faker. I'm not a faker. Like I I can't fake emotions like that. Like if I don't care about something, I can't say, "Oh, I care." I I I can't I can't play that card. That's not who I am. Like I am if anything, I am blatantly obvious. 
I'm black and white, yes and no. And that's just how I'm hardwired. And so I know that when I was sitting there, I kind of felt like I went from being a participant to being an observer. And I guess that's kind of what creeped me out. Mind you, I was I was younger then, so I didn't really understand what I was going through and feeling emotionally on the inside. And I'm so glad that God helped me through that because it was kind of how do I describe this? Well, the first thing that came to mind was young people are not taught that you were not taught that you may not feel the same emotions as other people and that's okay. Especially here in the Bible Belt, it's more like you're going to do what we say and you're going to do what we do. It's very, um, I was going to say, domineering in a way sometimes, and it's almost like the Victorian age never left. It, and it's just this, it's it's a false and cruel expectation, really, on other people. So one thing that you know God spoke to me about was. You don't have to put yourself in those situations and I I don't want you there. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable like that. And so I just said, "Well, Lord, what can I do going forward?" And he said, "Well, just decline an invitation to attend a funeral. Just say I can't make it, but thank you. I'll, I'll send a sympathy card." That was God's idea. That wasn't my idea. And I was like, "Oh, thank God. Thank you, Lord, for getting me out of that going forward." Now it's probably oh no. decade ago, 8 years ago. I mean, I I don't remember the date, not by any means, but I mean, here's the thing. What I've learned about God, I've learned so many things. But one of the things I'm so grateful for is that God meets you where you're at, and he's not ashamed of you where you're at. He knows you can do better, but he knows you're not doing worse. So that's why he meets you where where you're at because he loves you. And he loves the fact that you're that you're trying and that you care. And he loves it when you reach out to him and say, "Hey, I'm feeling really weird and I'm feeling really bad about these feelings, these emotions and I feel like I don't fit in, I don't belong. What is wrong with me?" Well, you know what God's going to tell you? More than likely he's going to tell you there's nothing wrong with you. You may have some issues, but that doesn't mean that that you're the problem. See in that moment I was beating myself up emotionally for not reacting the way as everybody else was. But you see here's the thing. I don't know if anybody else saw what I saw and realized what I realized. Don't ever underestimate the power of perception. Just because you perceive something and no one else does, that doesn't mean you're the problem. You might be the light in the darkness that people need. You just may not realize it. Sometimes you may be the only flame in a kindle of wood. But eventually, you know, with with time and prayer, God will help others to realize, "Hey, we we need to we we need that flame of Christ in us because we're missing something here." So, you know, one of the things I love about God is that he will get you out of situations. Like if something makes you uncomfortable, You need to take that up with God immediately. Don't throw that opportunity away to ask for advice. I think a lot of times we as Christians we we expect to know the answer no matter what. I got news for you. 
We don't always know the answer. In fact, we very rarely know the answer. But you know who does know the answer? Our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father knows the answer every single time. And he gives me the best advice. And you know what's great about the advice that God gives? It's timeless, meaning you can use it all the days of your life. It will guard you and protect you. It will guard you and protect you because you know it's interesting in that moment when I was feeling uncomfortable in that funeral and in the drive home with my mom, I was very uneasy. I was like if you had been taking my blood pressure, it would have been all over the place because I was feeling stuff that you know I was uncomfortable. I was feeling anxiety. I wasn't having an anxiety attack, but I I was feeling the pressures I was feeling the pressures of society. I was feeling like, well, I've got to do what they do, otherwise I don't fit in. Well, here's the thing. As long as you're doing what's legal and moral, you're not wrong. You're not the problem. See, here's the thing. Behavior modification never works. And that's where a lot of people, you know, where they fail or get stumped whenever they're trying to have a better life, they're like, "Oh, well, I can change, I can change." Guess what? Just admit that you can't and ask God to change you. Because see, here's the thing. God can change you in a heartbeat. But if we try and change ourselves, it could take years, decades, 50, 60, 70 years, and then, you know, at the end of our life, we look back and go, "Wow, I I didn't really change as much as as what I was hoping." Well, you know, that's why we need to go to our heavenly Father in prayer about these things. And you know what? Not once has God ever said he's ashamed of me or that he doesn't love me. In that moment, he wasn't disappointed that I felt the feelings that I felt and that I observed the things I observed and I woke up to the realization that I did. He didn't shame me at all for that. God used it as a teaching moment to say, "Hey, bad people die too." You don't have to feel remorse or agony or pain or sadness for bad people. If anything, it's weird if you were to do that. And it's even weirder when you have to fake it. See, I'm not a faker. I can't do that. I think other people are good at it. I I just don't have that natural skill set. And sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because there are times that's like, man, I wish I I wish I had a, a a better way of communicating with people sometimes because I know that I don't have a I don't have a poker face. I just am who I am. But you know what's interesting is that considering I am who I am and how God made me, there are so many people that love who I am because they know I tell the truth and they know that if they come to me and ask me a question, usually my facial expression will answer it. Like I worked in retail years ago, years and years and years ago. And I can't remember what they called me, but the women I worked with, most of them were older. Oh, they called it the Leslie test. That's what they called it. So, whenever there is an issue or a problem, or if they want to know what what a new employee was really like, like if they want to know whether or not a thief had been hired or if someone was stealing, they would purposely put them in my area of the of the store. And within like a day or two, I totally have the person figured out. And they called it the Leslie test because one time I asked these older older ladies, 
I went over and asked, and I was like, hey, how come all the new people you guys put over in my area? And at first they didn't want to answer, but then they started laughing. I was like, no, really? I was like, why do you keep bringing all these weird people over here? And then they told me, they said, and they said it's because you're the only one that spots who these, really peop- who these people really are. I was like, what do you mean? And, and they just kind of laughed, and they said, we call it the Leslie test. I was like, what? They go, yeah, we call it the Leslie test. Even managers know about this. They have figured out that if they want to know what's going on, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a problem with the till, a problem with merchandise, an HR issue, an emotional issue, um, a legal issue. They would put the strangest people in my area and for me to work with them. Like they knew that I would figure stuff out. My, my mom has always told me that you would make a great mole. Because you're really good at infiltrating and finding out stuff. And I'm like, I didn't ask for that, but I guess it's a natural skill set. So that's why I'm very perceptive and I observe stuff like that. And so what's interesting is the way I found out about this or the, the way that I started to question it and wonder what was going on was one time they put this weird chick with me. I mean, weird folks. I mean, I was just like, why was this person hired? They must be desperate for, for a, a living, breathing body just to stand somewhere in their store with a name tag on. So they hired this girl, or woman. She was not very kind at all. And I saw the older ladies, they were standing back. Like, they were standing back in their area, and they just had their arms crossed. And they were just kind of, like, just like two or three of them. They were leaning, leaning up against the counter of the cash register, but they were staring at me, and they were looking at me, and they were just observing So they're watching me and this new fellow co-worker work together. And I thought it was odd. I was like, why are these women staring at me like that? Like they were like 20 or 30 years older than me. And it, it was like they were watching a movie. And they were watching me. Like what I was going to do. I was like, because I would turn around and look. I was like, there's no one behind me. It's like, it's just me and this creeper new employee, right? And they were just kind of smiling, these older women. Well, what I didn't know was that They knew that if they put this new weird chick with me, that I was going to figure out what the problem is, even though I didn't know I was being used for that. So they were just waiting, and they were watching what I would do. They were watching how I handled this weird person, because they knew that I knew, just from me working with this person, I knew there was something odd about them. Like, I could sense it by the way they approached the area. Like, I just have, I guess, intuition. I don't know what it is. A sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, twelfth sense. I don't know what. I have quite a few senses that go beyond the usual. And so um, I figured out really quick about this woman. Um, she was a thief. She was a whiner, a complainer, but she used the whining and complaining to cover up the fact that she was stealing. And so um, this woman, she was, how do I describe this? Like she would find the most expensive merchandise that she wanted to steal She would take it from the, the bridge area, which is what is called, the bridge area is like where the couture, the nice stuff is. Like hundreds of dollars worth for like one sweater or one top. It's like designer stuff, I guess you could say. She would take stuff from that area and place it in between two really lesser quality items in our area whenever we were working over there. And then all of a sudden it would be gone because it didn't make sense for it to be in this lesser value area because to me I know stuff like that sticks out like a sore thumb because I know stuff really quick and also we had inventory to do so this woman she would first she would put the merchandise the merchandise in between two um 
lesser priced items to hide it. And then she would take it off the hanger and shove it in in a cabinet or a drawer uh at the at the cash counter where the cash register is. And then she would stand there and guard the cash register so that no one could use the cash register. And it's like we need to be able to ring people up. She's like I'm not moving. It's like, well, are you paralyzed? Have you turned into a pillar of salt? No, you need to move. I'm not moving. Okay, I'm telling you, you have to move. Your behavior is not appropriate. So what do you think I'm going to do? And she just looked at me, and this woman finally moved, but she didn't go far from the register. Well, then she has no choice but to go on break or something. So she goes on break, and I'm very clean and tidy. So I don't, and also this was like way, 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 way before COVID nineteen. Like I would disinfect, disinfect stuff like crazy, because kids would slobber on stuff, people would sneeze, not cover their mouth. I mean, Oklahoma. Who? There's a reason why we always had a flu epidemic here. Why we had so many people dying from the flu? It's because people would not stay home when they're sick. Because I guess they didn't think the flu was serious. I'm like, have you never heard of the flu epidemic of like what, like 1918 or something? It's real. But anyway. So I was cleaning, I was disinfecting and making sure everything looks nice and good. I found all these articles of clothing that this woman had shoved in, you know, back behind this re- cash register. Like she was she really did a good job. I was impressed. I was like, "Wow. She really wanted to hide this stuff." And we knew stuff was going missing, right? So I pull it out and I report it to the manager and I said, "Hey, this chick is she's got some issues." I was like, "You need to talk to her about uh being a thief." because she's been bringing very expensive items from other departments like kind of hiding them in our area and she has a process and then she would have these weird friends come and visit her I was like something's going on so I reported all that and sometimes I would report stuff and other times I didn't always understand what I was seeing but I but I would just go tell my manager hey this person said something really weird I don't know what they're talking about can you look into this like sometimes Sometimes it wasn't always obvious of what the issue was because I was way younger then. And when you're dealing with so many employees and you're working with so many new people, it's kind of like I'm not really sure what to make of all these people because everybody is unique, right? So anyway, um that girl got caught and it was pretty bad. And so um management and these older women in my area they they would just sit back and watch me work with someone new and so i didn't know till a couple of days after that that they call it the leslie test because they know that if anyone can can catch someone it's leslie <laughs> so but needless to say i was not paid to help with loss prevention even though that is technically part of our job as sales associates but anyway um i guess getting back to my story in that moment when i didn't feel comfortable at this funeral and I was praying about it quietly in the car God reminded me of all the good that I've done over the years like things I'd forgotten about things that I never really gave myself credit for I I just thought I was being a good human being and I thought it was just basic you know what we should be doing and you know God reminded me of of the natural skill sets that he's given me and he reminded me that you know sometimes when you're uncomfortable It's because you're supposed to be uncomfortable with what's happening. Like that's how you know when something's off and something's wrong or something's not right. And here's the thing, only my heavenly father knows all the good deeds I've done. 
Only my heavenly father knows my heart, knows my true intentions, knows how hard I work. Like only my heavenly father knows me through and through. So in that moment, you know, it's so interesting that sometimes we can pick ourselves up and say, "Hey, I'm a good person." You know, I I know I can accomplish anything. I know I'm successful. Sometimes we we need some positive feedback from our heavenly father. And guess what? He loves to tell you how proud he is of you. He loves to tell you those things. And so God just reminded me of how much he loves me, how much he wants to be there for me, how proud he is of me, and that I'm not the problem. And if I if ever I am the problem, he lets me know. Like that's a kind heavenly father. Very kind, very genuine, very just loving. Cuz in that moment when I was doubting who I am as a person, I didn't feel loved. Why? Because of doubt. That's why we need to doubt the doubt. And I know that the enemy was 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 coming at me hard on that. He was trying to make me feel bad for being who God how God made me. and who God wants me to be. Like sometimes I don't fit in in the crowd. Why? Because I'm meant to stand out. Guess what? Sometimes that makes me very uncomfortable because I am I'm not naturally an extrovert. I'm naturally an introvert. People may not think that or know that, but I'm naturally an introvert. I'm naturally a very private person. I mean, I just I I I don't know how to describe it. Sometimes people will think because, you know, I'm really good at speaking and I'm pleasant, I'm positive and that, you know, there are times I'm very jovial that they think that that means I'm an extrovert and that I'm always like that. And that's not the case. I'm I'm very much a quiet person. And when I do speak, it's it's with intention. It's you know, there is intentionality there. It's not just random sorority talk. It's not to waste people's time, it's not to waste my time. But needless to say, when I told my mom about what these ladies had been doing and when they called it the Leslie test, my mom just busts out laughing. She goes, "I wonder when someone was going to notice how good you are at that." She goes, "That is a great job for you." Like my mother was happy that someone else knows my talent. She she was proud of me. And I was just like, "What?" I was like, I didn't really understand it because I was way younger then in regards to the retail situation, but you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if you are an adult and you see a talent in a young person, especially something that they don't think is a talent or they don't know it's a gift, please let them know about it. and reinforce that. You know, let them know, "Hey, that's a God-given talent. Don't don't hide that under a bushel basket." Because whatever you hide is is whatever in terms of talents from God, whatever you hide is what you're throwing away. And your talent is a gift. It's what you are naturally supposed to do. So if you see a good trait or a talent or something in a younger person, let them know that hey you're really good at that have you thought about doing that for for a career cuz here's the thing 
you don't know that you know maybe they're just getting constant negative feedback from their family or their employer and they think wow I'm not really good at anything am I that's very common amongst people right now because they're not being lifted up they're being pushed down and you know it's interesting we need to be Christ like I mean look at it this way when I was feeling kind of down about myself My heavenly father lifted me up and he said, "No, no, 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 no. You are not in the wrong. You are correct. I made you that way. I made you to know those things." And I put you there at that funeral for a reason. You you may have thought that it was by accident. That was not an accident. I wanted to show you something and man did God show me a lot. Enlightened my mind in in a whole different way. Um really pushed back the curtain of our society in terms of our perception and our mind and what lens we look at things through and you know in that moment of being uncertain about myself i remember going to god immediately because i knew there there was something that when something bothers me i go to god immediately now i don't wait I do not wait because I don't like living with that uneasiness. And it's like, well, sometimes I don't always know what to do with my uneasiness. And sometimes I don't always know what the cause of it is, but I know my heavenly father will know, and he'll say, "Well, it's because of XYZ. Let's handle it. You're going to be fine. I love you. Everything is fine." How many people do you know in your life that talk that way? "I love you and everything is going to be fine." I don't know very many people that talk that way. Less than a handful probably. But that's how our heavenly father talks to us. And see here's the thing. If you are replacing God with tradition, you're blocking God from helping you in moments like what I went through. You're blocking God from speaking to you. You're blocking God from healing your broken heart. You're blocking God from blessing you. That's why traditions cannot save you or help you but God can. Go with God every single time. Every single time. I don't know how to describe it. Just give him a chance, even just a couple seconds of your day. Give give him a chance. God, let me let me put it this way. If all you ever say is God help me. That's three words. God help me. Three words. That is a mighty prayer. And you will be surprised how quickly, just in a millisecond, I mean, just w- within a, a, a nothing amount of time, God will help you immediately, and He can download an, an entire encyclopedia set of wisdom and advice just for you, written for you. It's not for anybody else. It's for you. It's very personalized. That's why the Bible is the living word of God. It's not the dead word of God. It's the living word of God. Because it is alive. And it speaks to all of us on an individual basis. It's for all of us as the body of Christ. As a group and as members, but we are individual members of Christ. That's why You know, whenever I read these verses, I may look at them differently than you, and God may speak to me differently about them than he does to you, but get this. However God speaks to us is always holy. So just because, you know, I read these verses 
and it moved me in the way that it did in this podcast, and let's say it moves you differently, that doesn't mean that you're wrong or I'm wrong. Technically, we are both right. Because God's word is true. God doesn't lie. And God helps us on an individual basis. He helps us on an individual basis so that way we can help others, especially people that have the same issues that we have. Cuz I know that if God can help me with what I'm going through, then I can help others to realize, "Hey, I've been where you are. I know God can help you with that." You don't have to live with that problem anymore. God can help you with that. And it's like what I said the other day in my podcast. Even if you can't spend a lot of time in prayer or in God's holy word, just read one verse a day. So yesterday, we read from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. So let's read verse 2. This is very interesting and this is I love this Bible it's the King James version and it's it's very beautiful. It's it's a an artist drew quite a few paintings in here and it's so beautiful. Okay the the second verse says and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That tells me right there that God can move no matter what. He's not he's not stopped by anything. He's not stopped by anything. He can help us with anything and everything. And even when it seems like there's nothing, God is there to help you. And let's say, you know, this is the third day that you're reading God's word and you just need one verse. Here's verse 3. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. We know that previously there was darkness, there was nothing, but there wasn't just nothing. Like in the natural it looked like there was nothing, but supernaturally God's spirit was there. And when God spoke, things happened. Good things happened. See, that's the thing. Whenever God speaks, good things always happen. God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. This is a perfect example of how when God speaks, things get done instantly. But when we speak out of our natural humanness and we we speak fear and doubt, nothing happens. And if anything does happen, our situations just get worse. But if you give God a, a chance to speak for you and with you, meaning you are speaking what God says about you, Instantly things can happen. Instantly you can be healed. Instantly you get a job. Instantly you get a raise. Instantly you get a new car. I mean, whatever the case may be, whatever you need, instantly it can happen with God. Whereas in our own strength, it can take a lot of time. And it can make us very miserable. Because We know when we need stuff and most of the time when we need something we need it right away. Well, why wait? Go to God immediately. So check out those verses for sure. For sure. We read from Mark chapter 7 and then we read from Genesis chapter 1. What you'll notice is that God's power is all throughout the Bible. It's all there. because he is there. 
even when you think he's not there, he is there in our lives. God's holy word is something that should be written on our hearts, which is why we have to read the word every day, even if it's just one verse. Give God a chance to move your mountains. Give God a chance to defend you. Even when you least expect it. You know, there are times in my life I'm like, "Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't get it. I don't understand it." But I'm trying. You'd be surprised how many times the Lord hears that prayer and says, "You know what, daughter? I love you. I love you so much. I love your prayers and I love to hear from you. Don't worry about it." See, God has our back. You just like in that retail situation, I didn't know that God was letting my light shine. Cuz people noticed me. <laughs> They did. Cuz I had never really worked in retail before. I was very blunt. I was very black and white yes and no. I just said it like it is and guess what? I got promoted 3 times at that store. I got promoted three times, got three raises, and I think like two or three bonuses. The Lord will reward you, but you have to be who God wants you to be, not who the world wants you to be. See, because if I had been like how the world wants people to be, I would have been, oh, I guess I'll be tolerant. You know, this lady must be poor. That's why she's stealing. No, no, thievery is thievery. Don't play that game. Stand up stand up for what's right. Stand on God's holy word. He loves you and adores you always. Always and forever he loves you and adores you. That's why his word is never ending, never ceasing. That's why his love is always enduring, never ending, never ceasing. It is forever. I will go ahead and end this podcast, but as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Be blessed. Bye-bye.
Don't let this world go down without us 